0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we have a very important guest Ken Starr, the former Solicitor General of the United States, a former federal appeals court judge, and of course, most famously, the Whitewater Independent Counsel who investigated the Clintons' financial dealings back in the 90s. He's going to join us. He's one of the great legal minds in in America, and he's going to talk to us about the strengths and flaws of the impeachment case against the president and uh, specifically what parts are constitutional and unconstitutional. I wanna ask a lot of questions we have to ask, right? Why isn't Chief Justice John Roberts um, uh, presiding over this? And if so, does that make the proceeding unconstitutional since the constitution is pretty clear that the chief justice shall, not may or could, but shall preside over any such impeachment trial. We're also gonna ask whether impeaching, uh, or, or con- Having a trial to convict a president who's no longer in office is constitutional. And perhaps the most interesting thing that's happened is as we've gotten further and further from the fog of war and more into the facts of what really happened, and you know, facts really matter, but as we get deeper into the facts about what really happened on January 6th, as hideous as it was, uh, as awful as it was, as criminal as it was, uh, the idea that this was a spontaneous riot seems uh, further and further from the truth. And why is that? I've gone through all the affidavits that the FBI has uh, filed and the statements that they have filed against 230 or so people that have been charged in the, the rioting and the illegal conduct on, on January 6th. And a growing number of people are, are accused of planning, plotting for days and weeks the riot. And therefore, you can't inspire something that was already planned before you you spoke about it. Uh, and and that, that's gonna become a major part of the argument of innocence, I think, that the president's lawyers are gonna make at this trial next week in the Senate, if it goes off. And I'm just gonna give you one new example. This just happened yesterday, right? So this is brand new. Uh, the uh, federal prosecutors filed a charge against a guy named Ethan Nordean, uh, in the home state of Washington, it's his home state. And um, they say he was an officer in the Seattle chapter of the Proud Boys, that's an extremist group. Uh, He marched with them during the riot. Uh, But more importantly, he began posting messages as early as December on social media indicating he and others were planning to engage in conflict. Uh, In fact, he asked for donations to buy protective gear and to buy communications equipment. Um, And and in December, he wrote this, let them remember the day they decided to make war with us. This is significant evidence that in December, he was raising money for a riot. And on January 4th, um, he posted another uh, uh, statement indicating that the Proud Boys were going to, quote, bring back that original spirit of 1776 of what really established the character of what America is. And it's not complacency standards. It's how it's going to be. And I don't give a goddamn. Uh, no democracy, no peace, he wrote. Um, these are uh, significant revelations that this didn't happen in the moment, that people bought equipment, they they raised money, they talked about plans, they named people that they called their commanders in advance of what happened on January 6th. Uh, if we went back a few weeks ago, uh, we broke the story about Thomas Caldwell of Virginia. He's charged with conspiracy to in, uh, impede or, or injure an officer and destruction of government property. And his uh, the affidavit in his case makes clear that he was planning and plotting this for some time, with conversations in November and in December, uh, that this was not, um, uh, and there was even organizing meeting at a hotel. That's not a spontaneous event. That is a planned event. That wasn't something that was incited by the moment or the speech it was planned uh, days or weeks in advance. So uh, I'm working on a broader story about this, but as we get to Ken Starr today, who's got a great legal mind, will help us understand where the Constitution falls, where, where the law falls, uh, what likely will happen next week. Keep in mind that the, there's now a factual basis to show that this riot, this violence was planned with fundraising and organizing and meeting and, and discussion and threats that long predated January 6th. And it, since so many of these threats, these um, uh, uh, solicitations for money, discussions of plans, um, the, uh, we out and open on social media. One has to ask, the FBI kept telling us for months, it was making extremism a high priority to monitor. How did they miss all this stuff? Or did they not miss it? And didn't react properly to it, uh, the FBI's conduct becomes far more important uh, in understanding how this stuff could be going on in plain view. Facebook is one of the places, Twitter is one of the places, parlor was one of the places this stuff was going on, which means it was out and open. And the question is, what was the FBI doing to cull, collect, analyze, and intercept or stop violence that clearly was planned days and weeks ahead? I think we have a really significant question to ask us. And it weighs on the guilt or innocence of President Trump in this upcoming trial. He, you can't incite something spontaneously that was already planned. It's very much like the original allegations of Benghazi, that that was a spontaneous riot uh, carried out by people who were upset about an anti-Muslim video. And what did we learn days, weeks, and months later? It was actually a planned terror attack by an al-Qaeda offshoot group uh, that had been planned for weeks in retaliation for something far different than the video. The fog of war is lifting. The facts are showing that what happened on the Capitol was a planned event, a criminal event, but a planned event that involved fundraising, that involved commanders and plans and maps and and equipment uh, and and uh, organizing meetings, and it was not the spontaneous event that this impeachment article makes it out to be. I think that's a very important part. Now, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, our exclusive interview with Ken Starr, the former Solicitor General of the United States, the former Whitewater Independent Counsel. Be right back after these messages from our great, great sponsors. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. You've known him as a federal appellate judge, as a solicitor general to the United States, as the Whitewater Independent Counsel, and as one of America's great legal minds. Ken Starr is joining the show today. Ken, welcome. uh, Welcome to John Solomon Reports.
1: Hey, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you on. There's so much going on in, in the political and legal space. I don't even know where to start, but I assume with the <laughs> president's trial uh, and if we can call it that next week in the Senate, uh, I'd love to get your thinking about uh, what what has transpired to this point, the the impeachment and the early setup to the trial next week. Do you, do you feel good about the process? What's your what's your uh, take on how it's been conducted thus far?
1: It's uh, wildly unconstitutional. Uh, What happened in the House of Representatives was uh, you can criticize lack of due process, lack of care, uh, lack of hearings, lack of counsel for the president. But the House had it within its power to impeach the sitting president of the United States. But we're in a different stage now, aren't we? And we have been since noon of January 20th. And what is about to unfold, in my judgment, is a flagrant violation of the text, the structure, and history of our Constitution, and of the historical example of the Nixon resignation and the cessation at that stage in the House of Representatives of impeachment inquiry. And so I'm happy to elaborate on that, but I would like to see uh, thoughtful people on both sides of the aisle. Obviously, I think 45 Republican senators have already expressed the view right. that this is unconstitutional. And I would hope that with further study, uh, uh, all persons of, of goodwill who have taken—I'm talking about members of the Senate—who have taken an oath to defend, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States would take that second look and really leave— For once, politics at the bloody door, right? Just leave it at the door. Read the text of the Constitution. Reflect on exactly what's about to happen, which I think is a pernicious—it's not only unconstitutional—it's a pernicious precedent. Because as someone has recently said, and they were serious about it, all right, then let's impeach Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oh, well, let's impeach Barack Obama. So I think this is constitutionally flagrant and should be dismissed for lack of jurisdiction, which is just a fancy way of saying lack of authority on the part of the Senate, right. because the president of the United States is not now the subject of impeachment. It's a former president. Yeah. They've lost their authority on January 20th. That's the way I say it. And now they're you know, hopefully we'll get into, well, what about all these historical precedents and so forth that do illuminate the path as to whether this is constitutional Uh, or not, as I believe it strongly to be.
0: I definitely want to turn to, I want to turn to one thing that has caught a lot of people's attention, and I think you know Chief Justice Roberts, uh, the fact that he isn't presiding. I I think that adds a constitutional question, but it also seems like he might be making a statement about not, you know, presiding over something the Constitution is always uh, intended for him to preside over. Uh, Why do you think Roberts did that, and how does it add to the equation that this is an unconstitutional process?
1: Yes. It's uh, I, of course, don't know his thinking, but I'm going to draw an inference, and that is the Chief Justice of the United States reads the Constitution and says, I have no authority to preside. No authority whatsoever. In fact, it would be, I believe, a violation of the Constitution for the Chief Justice of the United States to come preside over the trial of a former president, because the Constitution is very clear. In cases of the impeachment of the president of the United States, and it's president of the United States, the chief justice shall preside, not may, send a letter, Chuck Schumer, see right, free CBS and free. so forth, <laughs> you know, give him a room at the Capitol. No, no, no. It is unconstitutional. Let's return to the text of the Constitution. And one of the things that I wish would happen, and maybe it has happened or will happen, is let's formalize this. Let's have someone send a letter to the Chief Justice of the United States saying, excuse me, you you have a duty to be here. And I would hope that the Chief Justice would respond in a formal way in these proceedings to say, I do not have authority because this is not the sitting president of the United States. Another telltale sign that what is about to unfold flies in the teeth of our Constitution. Yeah,
0: no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Anyone who's read the Constitution, it's not, it's not ambiguous on this issue at all. And um, uh, I want to wind back to the process because you, uh, and then I want to finish up with what the historical precedents are. But when we wind back to how quickly the impeachment occurred in the. In the house without witnesses without evidence and quite frankly without the fog of war of what happened on on January 6 even cleared yet so we can see the facts uh, how concerning uh, is the process just as the house conducted we basically impeached the president in a couple of hours
1: it was uh, a classic uh, rush to judgment and so unfortunately with 10 Republicans uh, joining uh, very unwisely this uh, article of uh, impeachment The article now has the veneer, uh, it has the reality of a bipartisan move. I would hope that those uh, 10 Republicans, and hopefully even some Democrats, would say as we now look at the timelines that uh, the media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all their reporting uh, on, here's exactly the facts, as John Adams said to the Boston jury, facts, uh, facts. We're focusing on facts, as Louis Brandeis, the great justice, said, facts, 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 don't give me theory, give me facts. And the more facts come in, exactly, we know that there was a terrible rush to judgment. And people should be recanting. There should be – you can't draw it back. I mean, you're the House of Representatives. I suppose has the raw authority to – that's not going to happen but at least those voices should be not because I'm getting primary uh, uh, opposition in the Republican primary I made a mistake quote Fiorello LaGuardia the great mayor of New, New York, York when right? I make a mistake when I make a mistake it's a butte they made a <laughs> huge colossal blunder so walk back and apologize to the former president apologize to the American people that I never should have voted in favor of this without the benefit of all the facts i rushed to judgment
0: yeah that's the key thing i've gone through all these fbi affidavits and all of the different perpetrators who are now accused and charged and when you look at the fbi affidavits it's it, uh, you know really clear this thing was planned for weeks uh, the the uh, yes. de- the devices at the rnc and dnc which are you know viewed by police as maybe distractions uh, to take some police away from the site they were planted the night before there are conversations in november there's training in december um, the idea that this was a spontaneous riot is now not, not only in question, it's actually yeah. fairly debunked. Why, 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 do you think, um, that more members, you know, Liz Cheney has doubled down on this and, you know, she's a pretty smart lady, comes from a very brilliant political family. Why do you think some lawmakers made that choice? Is it Trump exhaustion? Uh, is it just the, the moment of the, you know, the, hy- the hysteria of the moment? It, it seems like some thoughtful people made a, a rushed decision.
1: Yes. Yes. I, well, I agree with that, and of course I can't, you know, judge not that you be not judged. I, I can't look That's into point. people's hearts and know their motivation. What I do know is, I, it, it certainly there was exasperation uh, that, uh, and, and and I understand the exasperation because my own view was, once the the Electoral College had met and had voted, that was it as a matter of our constitutional right. laws. Now, but that having been said. The post-1876 Congress did what? They passed a series of laws that were then invoked by Senator Cruz and uh, and, uh, and many Republicans in the House of Representatives, Senator Hawley and so forth. So there was a legal leg to stand on, right? To say we are we want to uh, inquire into the Electoral College uh, vote and, of course, underlying that is exactly what happened uh, in the election uh, itself. That's all fair. I have a very strong view that the Constitution <laughs> speaks to this situation. And once the, the vote has been certified by the governor or whomever of the, of the several states and all that have been, and then the votes are cast, that really is it. Right. But the president had a leg to stand on. So did Senator Cruz, Senator Hawley. I would have been of a different legal constitutional view. Right. But then that triggers the First Amendment. You've got the right to say this is my view with respect to the uh, election. And the 46 minutes that the president spoke, uh, I my own view is that it is shielded by the First Amendment. Yes, Now, the uh, the, the House managers in their brief filed earlier this week are saying the president doesn't have First Amendment rights. We, the people, have First Amendment rights to protect us against uh, the government. And that's so preposterous. It is. Every American has First Amendment rights. In fact, every person in the jurisdiction of the United States yeah. has First Amendment rights. Yep. So I think th- 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 it is almost as as if that once you become president, you don't have the benefit of the protections of the Constitution, including the Bill of Rights. And, of course, as Chief Justice John Marshall said in a very different context, that proposition is too extravagant, seriously, to be maintained. That's 19th <laughs> century talk. Yes, but it makes the point. you got to be kidding me.
0: <laughs> Such a great point. Absolutely. Now, as you go, uh, so that we've talked about the House and, and also the evidence of, of the president. And when you go into the Senate, some people say, well, there have been times in the past where an impeachment trial occurred after someone had already left office or resigned office. Can you help referee the, those claims for, for those of our, our listeners here who've heard them but doesn't don't, don't quite know what to make of them?
1: Yes. The most salient example, and it's a fair point on the other side, is uh, Secretary of War uh, Uh, Belknap, in that same period of 1876. 1876. He was corrupt. The House of Representatives was just about to return articles of impeachment because of his corruption. Uh, And so essentially at the 11th hour, I'll show you, you can't fire me, I quit. So Belknap (laughs) quit, and the House proceeded to impeach him, and then the Senate proceeded to hold a trial. It's a fair point, but here is what makes this so different. When you step back and look at the facts, you see Belknap was trying to circumvent and skirt the powers, uh, the constitutional powers, which had already been well underway. Here's what the House of Representatives here should have done. They should have – they shouldn't have (laughs) passed the article of impeachment. But as soon as it was uh, passed by the House of Representatives – there was, as I see it, a duty if you wanted to actually have the trial of the president. Transmit it and right it, away, right? You needed, to, you needed to transmit it right away. Yeah. Nothing was – there were no barricades. There were no National guards people in the Capitol preventing the House managers from walking <laughs> over immediately. And then the trial would have begun. Then we would really have much more of a, a, a Belknap kind of precedent. But here's right. the other thing. That is a secretary of war. In 1876, the Secretary of Defense now, we're talking about the President of the United States. And the salient example, the only one, but it's very powerful, is, of course, the resignation of Richard Nixon. Right. Once Richard Nixon resigned, the House of Representatives stopped on a dime. They didn't continue. Then they didn't debate. Well, wait a second. We've had all these hearings. The House Judiciary Committee, bipartisan, has voted out. Uh, Articles of impeachment, we need to go on. And we need to make sure Richard Nixon never runs for any office again. Sound familiar? It does. No, they stopped because they read their constitution. The impeachment is about removal and then possible disqualification. So that's the powerful example. I Mm -hmm. think what we discussed earlier, John, the chief justice isn't presiding, that tells you. This is, again, a sign that it's an unconstitutional. Okay, the, the, the other precedent is parliamentary history first. right. Parliamentary history is interesting, but it's not dispositive in terms of the interpretation of America's constitution. Yeah. Parliament was given to abuses. And the favorite example that I've seen on the other side is the impeachment of Warren Hastings, uh, the British uh potentate, so to speak, uh, during the the British Empire in in India. Now, so he's impeached, uh, tried by by parliament, and is eventually, by the way, uh, almost unanimously acquitted. That trial took seven years. Wow. It ruined this man, seven years. This was a clear attack on William Pitt, the prime minister, he can't attack the prime minister. The opposition then comes after one of his key people. Key people, right? Uh, who, been, yeah. And and so we can't get at the prime minister. So let's get at Warren Hastings, right? Sort of someone close to him, et yep. cetera. Payback. So there is no question. I think historians agree there was political motivation behind this, and it was a jihad. And to use that as an example that we should do that in America. I think is it's 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 laughable, but I think it's shameful that impeachment of Warren Hastings is viewed as a dark period of British history in terms of fairness to the individual. And it's being revived to, to be a positive one now, one now one, right?
0: Yeah, by the left, yeah.
1: I want to get one other point out in terms of the unfairness of this, and this is, if the Senate goes forward, what they are toying with is what I consider a bill of attainder. The they can't remove President Trump from office. he has left left in accordance with with law he left peacefully and lawfully so what are they doing they are seeking to visit punishment on the head of a former government official the former president of the united states i believe that constitutes a constitutionally forbidden bill of attainder which is another example of why we don't look to parliamentary practice to say well that's what we want here in america Article 1, Section 9 says very specifically, Congress has no authority to pass an ex post facto law. That means I do something right now, Congress tomorrow makes it criminal, I get prosecuted. That's ex post facto, right? Not a crime at the time the action was done. But the other, absolutely forbidden, the no-no of no-nos is a bill of attainder. We're going to, as a legislature, heap punishment on the head of this person bill of attainder this will be a process that lives in historical infamy wow. if it goes forward
0: it's unreal now you you've read the president's uh uh defense brief yesterday i assume and a lot of these arguments are in there they, they seem to be similar to what you're saying do you feel the approach that the president's team is taking thus far is a good approach or, or what how would you advise them if you were were looking at this Yeah,
1: you know, i think that they're uh going uh, I, I've not had a chance to observe it totally but what I do know is they are going to be uh, arguing no jurisdiction no authority and so forth and so let's uh, let's let's halt and this, first Amendment uh, I think they also brought up and, the first Amendment
0: right too as you brought and, up
1: and, 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 and then that's the substance it's the First Amendment yeah. I do not think from what I've read this far, John you're always ahead of me in terms of what's happening on the ground I do not think that they're going to as it were litigate the issues of well, what what happened during the election? That's right. my understanding. But yeah. yeah, I think that's and I right, understand. That. I think I think that I think that could go either way. To be honest, yeah, that's a, a classic judgment call, and ultimately, it's the president's uh, former president. Trump's uh, call. Call, Yeah.
0: Now, right now, I think if you read the brief, it does seem to, with exception of saying there are some legitimate constitutional issues that the president had a right, First Amendment right to raise. For instance, there are now two rulings, one in Wisconsin, one in Virginia, where courts have ruled that election rule changes that have impacted hundreds of thousands of voters were unconstitutional because they hadn't been approved by the legislature. So there's a Wisconsin Supreme Court ruling and there's a circuit court Uh, agreement uh, where all the parties including the state of Virginia agree that they had violated the the constitution on that. So they're just using that as that, uh, knowing that the courts have ruled that way. He's got a First Amendment right, but I don't think he's going to litigate all of the. You know, we're not going to be hearing about election yeah. machines. I don't think in uh, in the right. in the in the trial. I want to pivot to something else because it's on our uh, our listeners and, and readers' minds all the time. And you've been such an eloquent voice for the First Amendment for so long. This moment we find ourselves in, where these massive big companies with billion multi- billionaire owners, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Google uh, seem to be selectively silencing certain Americans. Um, And I'm curious when you look at it from a legal perspective, one, is it un-American the way you, what you see? And then two, uh, are there any constitutional recourses, any legal recourses given the section 230 protection that a lot of these big tech companies enjoy?
1: Yes. At a policy level, this is a travesty. Uh, Shame on uh, people sitting in Silicon Valley uh, of offering censorship this is the stuff of a communist regime this is the kind of thing that we see in the people's republic the so-called people's republic of china this is the party state so it's absolutely a travesty and unfortunately because these are publicly held companies but it's not the government right. uh, they, well, what what is what is the recourse and so i think what we're seeing now a very eloquent speech uh, by the governor of uh, Florida. Florida, yeah. Uh, governor De- 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 DeSantis, uh, other governors are speaking out. And full disclosure, I'm involved in a lawsuit in private legal capacity as outside counsel, part of outside counsel, to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton against sure. Google. So full, full disclosure. And yes, these uh, th- the remedies are clear. We've got to tear these modern-day, now- technological giants who control the means of discourse apart. Uh, And so, yes, we and and it may be that the laws will be there. The antitrust laws are very important laws to guard against monopolistic power and even more importantly, the abuse of monopolistic power. The robber barons of old didn't have the the opportunity, didn't have the wherewithal to shut people's voices down the modern-day robber barons do, they need to be taken apart, and a uh, certain immunity granted, Section 230 of the Communications Act, all these things are important to look at, but I think the American people need to rise up in righteous indignation, make their voices heard to their representatives, their member of Congress, it doesn't matter what party that person is from. I think it's outrageous that voices are being squelched. Yeah. Uh, and. So I, I, it's just it's so anti-American culture, values of the First Amendment, which is if you think it's a lie, you fight you fight lies with truth. And, of course, a lot of these are matters of opinion. And opinions are opinions. Allow the marketplace of ideas to work. That was the great traditional ACLU view. Exactly. We may not agree with that speech, but we certainly will agree with your right to make that speech, make that point, and that's being lost.
0: Yeah, and there are many great uh, Supreme Court rulings that really uh, made that point that it may be offensive to us, but it's still protected under the Constitution, and we seem to have lost that essence in our conversation. And liberals used to be the champions of this, and now they're on the other side of it in many cases. So, pretty remarkable. Well, yeah,
1: remember the. Good. Yeah, remember the ACLU. Uh, the, the neo Nazis marching in Skokie, uh, of Illinois, a, a, a place where uh, so many Jewish, a Jewish neighborhood, including Holocaust survivors, and the ACLU defended the right of the Nazis or the neo Nazis to go parading through the streets of Skokie. And it's pretty offensive. I find it offensive. Sure. But welcome to. Our sweet land of liberty where there are lots of things that are offensive that you just say, well, I disagree with that and I disagree with it fervently, but you don't censor it. Yeah, that's the
0: that's the, the 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 precipice we seem to have crossed over. We seem to have lost that 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 context that our courts have so long held. So well sir, I want to thank you so much for all you do. You're such a uh, we every time I have you on we learn so much and and I, our listeners have had so many questions about this process. So I want to thank you and hopefully uh, as the trial goes on and we get back to some norms, I'd love to get you back on.
1: Thank you. I look forward to it, John.
0: Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to come right back after commercial break and wrap things up. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News, where I hope uh, you had a good time today listening to Ken Starr. Such a thoughtful man, a person that really thinks about the Constitution, the law. And yeah, everyone's upset about what happened on January 6th, but emotion has to be set aside in the letter of the Constitution, the law of the Constitution, the facts of what happened on January 6th have to break through our emotion, our anger, our horror. And I think uh, Ken Starr helped us get through some of that. Take a look in the next few days. I hope to have a story that cuts through the planning and raises some pretty serious questions about how much the FBI could have, should have, or may have known about January 6th, important stuff to get to the bottom of. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. If you like what we do, remember those sponsors and advertisers you hear from on this show. Support them, buy their products, subscribe to their services, tell them how much you love them for making our journalism possible at justthenews.com and John Solomon Reports. Until tomorrow, may God bless you. You have a wonderful and blessed night with your family. And, of course, may God bless, as he always has, this amazing country, the United States of America.